you can't just cut off whatever's in the past, pretend it's not there, turn a blind eye and just push forward. Like you're going to carry whatever's back there is coming with you, whether you choose to see it or not, whether you are aware of it or not, what you have experienced in the first 20 or 30 or 40 years of your life before you become a parent follows you unless you turn around and face it and figure it out. Welcome to the Relational Parenting Podcast. I'm Jennifer Hayes, a parent coach and 20-year childcare veteran. Each week, I sit down with my own father, Rick Hayes, and discuss the complicated issues that parents face today, as well as some of the oldest questions in the book. From the latest research and the framework of my relational parenting method, we offer thought-provoking solutions to your deepest parenting struggles, or in other words, how to parent your kids without losing your mind or traumatizing theirs. Added bonuses include intergenerational wounding discussions and guest childcare experts. We will also start taking your parenting questions in episode five. So be sure to comment with your biggest questions or email me directly at Jenny at JennyB.co. Let's get started. Hello, and welcome back to episode four of the Relational Parenting Podcast. I'm Jennifer Hayes, and this week I wanted to take a step back and address a concept that has come to the forefront of our collective consciousness in recent years, generational trauma or generational cycles. The awareness and understanding of the existence of these patterns of behavior, thinking, and potentially abuse that get passed down through our familial lines is wonderful. And I'm so excited that more and more people are becoming aware of it and making changes. But I've also noticed that there is all this emphasis on changing the future and very little acknowledgement of healing the past. So I wanted to dive into that with you and really explore what it takes to actually work with the generational cycles in your own life in order to be the parent you want to be for your children. This subject is not an easy one to traverse, and it naturally forced my dad and I to have some very honest, hard, and awkward conversations. We dove into things that neither of us has ever discussed before and triggered some very deep old wounds. The results of those conversations are here in this episode. I can't wait to hear what you think, what you learned, and if you have more questions on this topic, please comment or message me. We've been talking in the last couple of episodes about how to parent differently. We've been discussing relational parenting, my method, and a couple of the tools and um, pillars of, of my relational parenting method. So we've talked about how to connect with your children, how to lead with empathy, and different tools for correction or co- uh, finding cooperation instead of shame, using shame, guilt, and punishment. And this week I wanted to kind of pause on teaching more ways to shift your parenting. And I wanted to take a step back and address something called generational trauma. Uh, This is a big buzzword right now. It seems to be everywhere in social media, et cetera, therapy circles, and has been for a couple of years now. 
it plays generational trauma, generational cycles play a huge role in our ability or inability to make changes as a parent, changes from how your parents parented, changes from your own stuff, uh, your own way of showing up that you don't like uh, as a parent. And generational trauma is so influential on how you show up in your current everyday life, whether you recognize it or not. And it's going to be so much harder to put any new parenting practices into place without first having addressed your own wounds from your childhood. And the reason that it will be harder (laughs) is because you and your body are going to carry those wounds and you're going to carry that, those emotions, the, the tension, the difficulty that you experienced or the, you know, um, the automatic knee-jerk reaction that your parents did to you, you're going to carry that into your parenting relationship as well. And especially on your bad days or if you're tired or worn extra worn out or whatever it might be, you, those are, that's when all that tension and suppressed emotion is going to come out. It's going to explode. Um, and your kids are going to, to feel that they're going to walk on eggshells or, um, you know, obviously like run away from you if you explode or um, not even, it doesn't even need to be an explosion. It doesn't need to be this like big obvious thing. It could be passive aggressive comments made from an intention of goodwill or even teaching. Uh, You know, there's these, these suppressed emotions unexpressed, unhealed wounds, um, or just patterns of behavior that we've picked up from, from our parents, they come out in small ways that we don't even recognize sometimes. Not um, conscious sometimes, yeah. Yeah, and, and not on purpose. Like, no, I don't, I don't think anyone I know is hurting their child on purpose. Now, there are those people... <laughs> Um, but we're not talking about the extremes. We're not talking about, we're talking about the general population, middle of the spectrum parenting, um, people who are trying to do the the best they can. Um, Inadvertent harm, not, not nobody intentionally doing anybody else any harm. Yeah. But these, the generational cycles that run in your family, affect you whether you're aware of it or not. And so becoming aware of them, addressing any childhood wounds that you have and not just ignoring them or being like, ah, it was, it was fine. I'm fine. Um, because those things are going and are going to live inside of you and then they're going to come out and in your parenting towards your child. And then your child is going to have to carry those things. And who knows how long it will take for someone to wake up and become aware of the cycle and break it. So let's do it now. (laughs) (laughs) And that's really the meaning. That's the meaning of generational trauma or, or, you know, why are we trying to be better at parenting? You know, you have to, you have to spot your stuff and deal with your stuff and, uh, 
even if it's not perfect, if it's your, if you're a little better than your parents were, or do it a little different or gentler or uh, whatever the word is, you can improve. You know, from generation to generation, it doesn't have to be perfect. But you gotta somebody's got to spot it, and it might as well start with us. This right, this generation of parents. Well, and and so the first thing I want to talk about is that simply doing things differently moving forward is not the only step in healing generational trauma. So first you have to, or simultaneously, um, you have to face your own wounds or anger from childhood. If you have any grief or feelings of injustice or betrayal or lack of safety towards your own parents, even just things that you, you know, you can still look back as an adult or as an adult with children and go, that was not okay that that was done to me. I didn't deserve to be treated like that. Um, Mm -hmm. Looking back at those things and not brushing them aside, not just saying, well, everybody, everybody fucks up. Nobody's perfect. Um, you'll, we'll get there, right? You'll, we'll get to the acceptance part, but before you can get to acceptance, true acceptance, you have to first feel those feelings. You have Mm -hmm. to acknowledge that it happened and that you did not deserve it. And you have to, and grieve, you have to grieve that that happened to you and that you did not deserve it come to terms with it. And that's always fun coming to terms with feelings like that. You know, it's not comfortable. Grief is everyone's favorite. Yeah. And, uh, you know, you have to, to, for me, maybe it's because I'm a guy or something. uh, I don't usually think of it as, oh, my parents did something to me here. It's not so conscious for me. It's like, why am I upset? <laughs> you know, this mm-hmm. this thing my kid did or some, whatever happened, whatever circumstance I'm in, I'm, have, I'm having an irrational uh, subconscious or what uh, kind of reaction to it. And it's uh, sometimes you got to go off and go, why does that situation make me so uncomfortable? <laughs> yeah. And, and dig into it a little. It requires a little digging because there's, you know, there's no manual for this. You have to figure it out. Yeah. And so healing, healing the, the, your own stuff is what's going to make space for you to make the changes and be the person who can bring in these new practices and be able to be accountable and and fully stand in your own power and your own capability to do things differently and to make the harder choice when it comes to difficult moments with your children if whether it's their big emotions um or whatever it might be. It's usually their big emotions is what's happening. Um, Almost everything can be boiled down to that or an unmet need. Everything is either a big emotion or an unmet need of a child. And neither of those things is that child's fault. 
they are allowed to have big emotions. We all do. And they have needs and they don't have, you know, small children don't have the ability to express those needs. And if they were never taught, then big children don't have the ability to express those needs either because they are not in tune with themselves. So they don't deserve anything other than love and kindness as well. Um, They're little leaves in a stream. They're just being carried on, you know, till, till they learn how to deal with stuff. Well, until they have the power and, and ability to do it. I mean, we don't, we don't let kids determine their course until they're of a certain age. And the earlier that we can give them choices and freedom and the ability to problem solve and choose and mess up and get up and do it again and make another choice. And like, they won't develop good judgment if they aren't given the chance to develop it and practice. So, um, Anyway, so we are feeling, we're acknowledging our own hurt. We're looking into the past, looking at our relationship with our parents, looking at the places we felt injustice. Um, and we're we're going to feel those feelings and we're going to grieve it. And that's going to be a process. It's not just going to happen once. And you're going to be like, all right, cool. And once you have grieved and felt all of those feelings, the next step is that you can start to choose forgiveness or at least understanding. So forgiveness, I think most people know by now, is not for the other person. Forgiveness is for yourself. And I say forgiveness or understanding because not everything and not everyone is ready or capable of forgiving or letting go. And that's okay. Uh, What I would urge people to strive for is to understand where your parent was coming from when that happened and not understand as in justify, but understand as in, Oh, A leads to B leads to C. I see the chain of events that occurred to to bring that to fruition. Mm -hmm. And whether that happens through a conversation with your parent, whether that happens through you being an adult who can now look back at the past and see things more clearly and know where your parent was coming from, um, what your parent had going on, what your parent, the knowledge that your parent did not have access to, right? Because we're in an age now where we have the internet and we can learn (laughs) all of these things. And we can, you know, reach out and find support um, in so many different ways. And, you know, even 20 years ago, that wasn't the case so much. Google wasn't quite as, as at your fingertips. So there are millions of situations and millions of different pieces to everyone's puzzle. Um, But these are just kind of the first steps that I would give someone who is seeking to parent differently. I would encourage you that step zero is you've got to 
face your own stuff first or at least simultaneously. Yeah. And I agree. Um, There are more tools now. You know, you have to be mindful or intentional, whatever you want to call it to, you know, you have to be aware of your stuff. You have to work on self-awareness, I guess, um, to do this. And then there are so many more resources. The internet has, has grown and gotten better and uh, more effective at connectedness, actual finding a group of people to chat with verbally or with a keyboard. Um, you know, there's all kinds of resources out there. If you can, if you have time to do that, um, that makes it easier than it was years, you know, 20 years ago. Yeah. And there's also like all this research, the latest research, a lot of these studies have been being done for 10, 20 or 30 years. So things that the information that is available right now, you know, the study started a few years after I was born. Mm -hmm. Um, So there's simply information that did not exist yet. Mm -hmm. um, Let alone was available to the masses. Mm -hmm. That was one of the first purposes of the internet was sharing mm -hmm. research and that kind of thing. So that the internet really sped up the pace of all that. You didn't have to get published in nature and peer reviewed and, you know, the velocity with which new studies could be looked at and have the next guy go, oh, here's the next question and start a study on that seemed to pick up a little bit. Well, and for the average American family to be buying published peer-reviewed medical journals, like that's, <laughs> that's, that's right. that, that nobody does that. Nature is expensive. And, and in <laughs> fact, yeah, if you hadn't gone to university and also studied in the sciences to know that peer-reviewed articles are a thing that Exist. exists, yeah. how would you ever have access to that information other than yeah. big entities run by the government telling you what to do? People Which, working on this stuff. And there's so much bad information out there, too, sometimes. Yeah. Well, you and know, from, from... It's getting diluted. From some of those entities that's not picking, accurate. Picking a, good, uh, picking a good source. That's a whole critical thinking. That's yes. a whole other podcast, I think. Yes. Sourcing your information. So I want to share a story um, about some generational repair that has occurred um, through the women in my family and how, you know, how that kind of brought me to where, where I'm at today. Um, Yeah. So I'm just going to dive right into that. So I, so I was 26 and was talking to my grandma on the phone and she was telling me a story or the story of her, a trip that she took where she had an experience of healing with her own mother who had actually passed on already. Mm -hmm. Um, 
so she told me all of the details of this story. And meanwhile, I was, I was 26 and I had just started kind of dabbling in the notion of generational trauma and generational healing and how things um, can be passed down through families and um, specifically in our family through the, the female, the women lineage of mm-hmm. mothers to daughters. And so when she was telling me this story, I was kind of blown away because she had, she had no idea that I had started exploring this topic and um, was kind of digging into these things. And just before that, phone call, like a month or two before that phone call, I had actually written a letter, an apology letter to my mom, uh, basically apologizing for what a jerk I was as a teenager to her and kind of into my 20s as well. Um, I had been harboring a lot of blame and anger towards her and for really no reason. And I, well, for many reasons, but none that were fair. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> so I'll, I'll put it that way. I had Excellent distinction. Good yeah. distinction. I had many reasons, <laughs> none of which were fair to her. Um, you have reasons. Yeah. And so... I had written her this apology letter as I had had my own experience uh, that made me see the past a little bit clearer and see where she was coming from with some of the choices that she made. And uh, so then I was on the phone with my grandma hearing this, this story about her healing with her mom. And I, you know, something clicked for me that day uh, about the, the healing that I felt was being sent backwards ancestrally and forwards, um, Mm -hmm. down to my, me being the most recent generation living. And, and it was this crazy, this vision of, of a, of a cord connecting, from myself to my Hmm. great grandmother. So from me Mm -hmm. to mom and from mom to grandma and from grandma to great grandma. Mm -hmm. Um, And this, this kind of like golden light just kind of being shot from, from way back ancestrally down the line to me and how that had connected all of us and how when one of us chooses to heal um, the other one's benefit and so fast forward a f- couple of years, I was 28 or 29. And I, you know, my mom had been coming to visit me in Colorado once or twice a year, uh, staying for a few days at a time. And our pattern for those visits would be, we would be so excited to see each other and so happy to hang out for a few days. And about two days in, to that we would start bickering or, or snapping at each other or Hmm. whatever. And I'm sure that this is not an uncommon experience for anyone and their parents. (laughs) Um, Yeah. Especially mothers and daughters who are kind of famous for it, but yeah. Right. Well, in, in, so I was dating someone at the time and he had been hanging out with us for that few days 
and my mom left and he kind of, he kind of looked at me and he he was like, (laughs) why do you talk to your mom like that? (laughs) What was that? I was like, I don't know. I was like, I don't know why I do that. Every time she leaves, I just feel terrible. And then like, but when she's here, I'm so, I get so annoyed at her. And, but then she leaves and I'm like, why did I talk to her like that? And so it it started a conversation with him and started a conversation inside of myself. And we explored that a little bit. And I realized that I was reverting to 16 year old Jenny when my mom came into town and 16, 17 year old Jenny was the last time that I had lived full time, you know, daily Mm -hmm. interactions with my mom. Mm -hmm. And there's a phenomenon and it applies especially between parents and their children, but in almost any group anywhere, um, that you kind of you kind of revert to who you were when you met or established this group of people that you okay. hang out with so whether that's your family or your college friends or whatever it might be you you know we are all multifaceted people we don't just have one thing that defines us and that's who we are we have many pieces to our personalities and so um, you know, I, I realized that, oh, when I get on the phone or go home and visit my college friends, like I kind of become college Jenny again. And I realized that that's what was happening with my mom. I was becoming 16 year old Jenny with my mm-hmm. mom. Mm-hmm. And even though I was in my late twenties and I had so much more clarity and, and realizations and all of these things, I had actually really only been in regular contact with my mom for the last three years, Mm -hmm. other than when I was a teenager. And so we were reestablishing our relationship. We were, you know, healing and growing and reestablishing our relationship. And I realized what was happening and, and, began to take responsibility for showing up in that relationship with my mom differently and showing up as the adult that I was walking around being the rest of the time, you know, I would go be a professional at my job and I would be a good friend and I would be understanding of my friends and who they are and there be accepting of their flaws or what I, if I perceived them to be flaws or whatever it was just the way I would want to be treated. And otherwise like, an adult. Yeah. And right. I was like, Oh, okay. So I need to like stop seeing my mom as my mom, just like this punching bag that I can be an asshole to and he'll love me anyway. And I need to start treating her like a person that I care about because I do, you know, I'm not perfect. And my mom and I still bicker sometimes, but I don't, I don't react or make shitty comments or I don't know, just say like unnecessary things to her out Mm -hmm. of, out of childish annoyance. There you go. 
and I started to look at who my mom was and put the pieces of her life together and understand her as a human being and not just Mm -hmm. as my mom who I expect to be whatever I need her to be at whatever moment I want her to be that thing. Adult to adult, not not parent-child. Yeah. And... But I had to, in order to to do that, I, there had to there were several years of work that led up to me being able to being capable of realizing that, and Aware there were several years of healing and looking at my childhood and putting the pieces of her life together to understand her better, you know, grieving and then accepting and understanding. And once I could see her as a whole person, not just as my mom, I was able to let go of a lot of those things or talk to her about some of those things, like move on with my life and, and, and not just like, not just like carry those things buried inside of me that would come out at a moment's notice. Yeah. Well, and it wasn't like, it's important to know that for anyone listening, that it wasn't just like one fell swoop and all of a sudden I was an angel to my mom. Like Mm -hmm. it took more (laughs) visits and more self-awareness and more and apologies and conversations. Like it, it also allowed me to, to be able to talk to her about things I had never, about topics I had never approached before because I was stuck Mm -hmm. in this child parent dynamic Mm -hmm. and, Mm -hmm. But once I stepped into an adult adult dynamic, I was able to be like, hey, you know, I'm going to set this boundary with you or, hey, when you did this when I was a kid, that hurt. Or, you know, and we were able to have some of these conversations. And then there were also things that I didn't necessarily feel like I needed to approach with her because I could see who she was and what was happening back then. And I could go, oh, okay, I get why that happened or I get how that happened or, and I was able to just do it on my own. I was able to just see it for myself and let it, you know, either experience the emotion or grieve what happened or whatever it was and just let it go. Um, Maybe with the new adult, adult perspective, you perspective, you could, you could see it. You didn't have to have everything explained to you like a child. Right. And, and that comes with life experience too. And so, so the, the point of telling this story is, you know, just to give an example of how one complicated and messy, because that whole story spanned from like age 25 to now, really, it's still happening. Like my mother and I still discuss life and, and whatnot, and our relationship continues to grow and get better. But um, there was, you know, about five or six years there where, where we were kind of traversing a new version of our relationship as mother and daughter. And so it's not when I talk about generational healing and I talk about um, 
looking into your childhood or your feelings towards your parents. And there might be feelings towards your parents from when you were a kid. And there might be feelings that you've had as an adult towards your parent now. And it may even be like as grandparents, you've struggled with your parents or explaining to your parents how you want them to treat your children. You know, because that's something I hear a lot about is, you know, I've told my, a parent will come to me and say, I've had this conversation with my parent 800 times. And every time they come to visit and see the grandbabies, she still says these things, or she still does these things, or grandpa still, you know, won't, you know, tells my three-year-old to stop crying when he gets hurt. And it's like, and it's, you know, differences in generations and yeah. yeah. And, and so there's also a level of parents, adult, you know, parents of adult children have a responsibility to respect their adult children as adults and not as their children to not, not the treat, way I would do it, but it's their kid this now. You right. Know, sure. And, tr- and trusting that your child will do what's best and that there is new knowledge that you are not aware of. And, yep. you know, just because it's not how you did it is also not. The other thing I've seen is grandparents taking, taking it personally when their kid doesn't want to do things the way they did things. And yeah, I'm sorry, that but good. that it's been like that for centuries. Well, kids have always wanted to do something different than their the way their parents did it. That's just and, another iteration of what you're talking about, though, is is that's the other side of the coin, it sounds like, of a grandparent looking at a kid as a kid, not as an adult. And if they're not having a meeting of minds and a sharing of opinions and here's here boundaries, here's my here's the way I'm going to raise my kid. It's not the way you did it. But here's what I expect of you. And mm-hmm. yeah, yeah, yeah. It's all the it's all the same thing, just from different perspectives. Interesting. Right. And there so there's this there's this this visual that I get when I talk about this subject is there's in order to pass forward what we want to pass on to our children and parent differently and make change and and evolve there's in order to reach forward we must also we must reach back you can't just cut off whatever's in the past pretend it's not there turn a blind eye and just push forward like you're going to carry whatever's back there is coming with you whether you choose to see it or not, whether you are aware of it or not, what you have experienced in the first 20 or 30 or 40 years of your life before you become a parent follows you unless you turn around and face it and figure it out. Yeah. And if you have your parents around and they are grandparents to your, your children and you have a, you know, you have this three generation dynamic occurring for visits or in your household or whatever it might be like that dynamic is going to play out all of the time. And until you address those things, it's going to affect your children. 
um, yeah. no matter what kind of change you try to make. Um, yeah. yeah, that's an interesting thought. I mean, the 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 communi- parents communicating to grandparents maybe why they're doing not that that's required, but to get grandparents on board the grandparents have to be ready to receive and the parents need to communicate why this is different. Um, and grandparents, especially, it, it makes me think of a, I think it's a Japanese concept, new mind, beginner's mind, um, where you can't go into it. Shushin. You, you can't think you know it all. Shoshin. Mm-hmm. I think you. so. It's S H O S H I N. Someone correct me if that's wrong, or I'll Google it later and correct it in yeah. the show notes. But it's Shoshin yeah. is beginner's mind, learner's mind. But that's the, you know, that's the idea of you old dogs, new tricks, that kind of thing. Grandparents can't go in thinking they have all the answers. Uh, and even if they do, the kids might want to do it different. And so then there's communication must ensue to uh, 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 come to agreement on a change and push comes to shove, grandparents need to back off. It's your kids' well, kids. It's reminding me of something we talked about in one of the earlier episodes of this leveling the playing field. So there's this hierarchy of parent to child mm-hmm. that is very, very common. And I talked about leveling the playing field as a parent so that you can be the adult and you know what's safe and you, you know, there, there are some hard boundaries, but in general, leveling the playing field, letting your child have an opinion, have a choice, be involved in problem solving and not minimizing their emotions, right? It's so important that we empathize and we validate their emotions and their experience, even though they're tiny, and you know that everything's going to be okay. They don't. And so you just telling them it's going <laughs> to be okay right. is like, oh, well, I cra- must be crazy for feeling this way, right? Meeting so, them where they're at. Yeah. Yeah. Meeting our job as parents is to meet our children where they're at and care for them there. And not to stand up here and look down at them and be like, no, it's this way. No, it's this way. No, Crush it's this them. way. And Damn so if we still. level the playing field between parent and, you know, underage child, the same concept applies to grandparent, adult child, <laughs> right? So grandparent can't be up here, parent with child. You can't have grandparent going, no, this is how I parented. So this is how you should parent. And this is how yeah. it was when I was parenting. And so this is how you should do it. And if you don't, then that's, I'm offended because uh, you're telling me yeah. I didn't do it right. And it's like, no, that's not what we're saying. You had the information that you had when you were parenting. Yeah. Thank you. And I love you. I've learned this thing called relational parenting. You got to learn about (laughs) (laughs) my dad forever, forever, uh, marketing for me. (laughs) (laughs) Well, it's just, I mean, that's what we're doing. And yeah, I mean, the parent child thing, you see that everywhere in nature, it's not just human beings. And, uh, but it, it doesn't really go above that. I mean, there's a parent and child thing with parents and their and their parents, you know, and the grandparents. But grandparents are removed from the child per se. You know, there's they don't get to they don't get to mess with the parent child stuff too much. 
Well, no, but it's. I think it's really important for grandparents to not see themselves as older and wiser than parent, than their adult child who is now a parent. Um, I think it's really important that grandparents trust and believe that their child, who is now an adult, having children, knows what's best for that for those children with the new information available and also refrain from taking it personally because it's not about you. Your kid grew up witnessing you as a parent and there are some things they're going to disagree with you about and everyone is human and makes mistakes and there's no reason mm-hmm. for you to fall into a pit of shame for that. And I know mm-hmm. we did an episode on shame. We're going to do another one, by the way, because I have a lot more to say. But <laughs> shame is so deeply rooted yeah. in who we are and how we handle ourselves and our emotions and how we reflect on the world that this is this is what's at play when someone when anyone takes anything personally it is rooted in shame oh well yeah. you must you must be saying that i did something wrong or bad hmm. and because if you're not going to do it the way i did it then then you're saying that i was wrong or bad yeah. and that's just not true there's new information when we know better, we do better. Maya Angelou, I know, Maya Angelou, sorry, I've learned since that many years ago that, that I was pronouncing That's, her name wrong. Okay. Um, I was thinking of the four agreements by Carlo something or other, but a similar kind of thing. Yeah, is, when you know better, is, you do better. Yeah, you got to trust the kids. You want to I wanted to say we want to raise kids that you trust. You know, when you're raising your kids, you want to make sure you're raising kids that you trust with this job, not yes. need to do it for them forever, right? Yes, so you so the same trust and and um freedom and trial and error that we are giving from parent to child, you know, our grandparent to adult parent or to adult child needs to be happening as well. And if it happened earlier, then it would naturally happen when you're a grandparent, you wouldn't be micromanaging your child who is now having children of their own. And I remember the story, the quick snippet I wanted to to tell you, I think I was, think I was in college, like late Hmm. college. Mm Mm-hmm. It was either late college or very shortly after college. I we had had a phone call, and you said something to me, and you know I was updating you on my life and all the mistakes I was making, and you weren't telling me what to do about it. You like you mm-hmm. were not correcting me. You were not giving me a solution about it. Wow, that doesn't sound like me. Are I know, you sure this, it was me? This is going to lead us into our final our final <laughs> story about that your... That wasn't me. <laughs> yeah. Well, so, okay, this is why it was so memorable, core memory, right? Because my dad wasn't, te- like, giving me the solution yeah. or telling me what I should or shouldn't do. And yeah. I was, like, 22, 23-ish, and um, you said that at this point in... My in parenting, it was your job to hmm. you had taught me what you could teach me, and it was ne- it was now your job to sit back and watch. Oh my! 
And you I said must have it, been on drugs. Was I high? It, I don't get high, but you said it much more elegantly than that, and and much less of like <laughs> a de, like much less much less detached than that. But okay. I think I I was telling you all these th- telling you this or telling you a certain situation, and and you were just kind of like being supportive and whatever. And I was you know I was made a joke about oh you're not you're not giving me the answers. You're not telling me what I should do. And you said, yeah. and you said something to the effect of, you know, I've realized that you're an adult and you are capable and smart. And my job at this point is to be here when you need me. And otherwise I'm, I, I sit back and watch and yeah. just watch you become who you're going to be. And I remember, oh God, I was so sassy back then because I would never say this now. I remember telling you to grab a bowl of fucking popcorn. (laughs) (laughs) You know, that sounds familiar. I think I might remember a scrap of this. I think I even posted it on Facebook or something, some version of that quote. Bowl of popcorn hits a bell. Because I'm like, Hmm. well, and I said, strap in and grab a bowl of popcorn, Dad. It's coming back. It was a very dramatic point in my life. Yeah. Where I was you kind were, of like really experiencing the pitfalls of adulthood and the choices that I stuff. make. <laughs> yeah. And I and I and it's beyond my it was probably beyond my power to really fix. It was like, you know, well, if you you, you know, do you need me to send in the SWAT team or something? I don't know what it was, but uh that's good. And I am so proud of you guys, you and you and your brothers too. When you get to those points where it's we talk about things, but it's like, you know, and you know, a minute ago you you were talking about you know stuff's all learned, parent, child, parent, grandparent. Uh, it's all learned. It's all figured out. It's not learned. It's figured out uh, the hard way, and uh, you know that's and that's good. That everybody, you never stop figuring things out. Um, I'm very proud of you guys because you all, you all matured and are good at figuring things out. I trust you guys. Hmm. Thanks. I'd forgotten about that. Well, so I want to, you know, part of this, doing this podcast with you is us being able to you and I have these conversations um, about, you know, intergenerational, like I'm the child, you're the parent, et cetera, but mm-hmm. also exploring then even further back. So your parents, you know, how are you affected by how you mm-hmm. were parented? Um, and mm-hmm. so you were telling me in when we were discussing this episode and this topic that you felt that you were not, that you weren't parented very much, that you kind of parented yourself growing up. You were the fifth of five children and that you remember, you know, by the fifth child, your parents were just kind of like, all right, well, there's another one running around. It's not going to kill him. None of the other four died when they went down to the river. He can go down to the river. And so that led to you (laughs) when you, 
um, entered parenthood, you were very like gung ho. I'm going to teach my kids everything. And I'm going to, you know, you were very intentional about like, I'm going to tell them all about the world and teach them everything. And, um, and, and you had that wonderful intention of like, I'm not going to, I'm going to do it differently than my parents were. Cause I feel like I grew up kind of without parents, without mm-hmm. a lot of guidance. And you and I touched on how it led to over teaching, over explaining, um, to the point where we, and I, and I won't, I, I won't say we, me, um, I felt inadequate or incapable mm-hmm. sometimes of finding my own solutions to things. I remember I remember you finally saying that out loud to me at some point in the back seat and feeling very small. It's like, no, 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 I'm not trying to make you feel incompetent. I'm trying to <laughs> brain dump on you before I die and right. <laughs> you know what wisdom I have put at your disposal so you can use that to grow and it just you know, we screw up our kids, whether we, even with good intentions, we screw up our kids. We do things wrong and uh, shouldn't say screw up kids. And so, yeah, no, I very, I very vividly remember a, a couple of times somebody's from the back seat saying something and me going, oh, crap, that's, that was not the effect I was looking for at all. Do you remember how old I was? You Did were I... pretty young. You were much younger than really? you should have been. Remembering... I want calling you out as a like a teenager how young yeah, were we i would say 13 14 15 maybe oh, it would have okay. been it would have been i'm thinking middle school or uh early high school yeah yeah i remember we would tell you 12 know, to 16 or something like that one of us myself or brothers would tell you Something, a situation that was going on at school or a problem we were having or whatever. And you would kind of dive right in with like how to fix it or how to do it here's better how you handle or this. handle yeah, it like this. Yeah. And yep. it was like, I, 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 already had a pl- I already had a plan. I was just kind of, I was, <laughs> I was getting there, but you just kind of cut, you know, either yeah. you cut me off or. Like I wasn't, I was just venting because I have feelings. I I didn't want, I don't need a solution. I wasn't asking your opinion. I was just needed you to hear my feelings. I was not good at that one either. Mm. Yeah, no, that's, and that's another good example of, I think you guys probably said that to me more than once a piece before I finally figured it out. Yeah. You know, because I would lecture, because I would do that, and I know I would launch off in a lecture. I would brain dump on you, and uh, apparently you survived it. But I'm sure it wasn't much. Fun. <laughs> I'm sure the next five or ten minutes were not always the most fun. <laughs> well, and the effect. So the the lecture wasn't necessarily the problem. I. I loved learning. I loved being taught. Like I, I always liked school. I always, you know, as an adult, mm-hmm. I've always pursued experiences and learning new things and cultures and, you know, all kinds of stuff. So it wasn't the lecture that bothered me. It was, it was that mm-hmm. I, that's not what I needed. 
And sometimes the lecture, instead of helping me problem solve it myself, you just gave me the answer. Yeah, I was trying to dump the answer on you. The effect that that can, like the intention is wonderful, but the effect is that your child then feels like you don't think they're capable or smart or whatever. And they also don't get to practice those problem solving skills and they don't get to like bring you like, oh, look, I solved this problem. This is how I handled it. And then you get to be like, oh, wow, that's awesome or whatever. And I'm not like you didn't do that all of the time, every single time. But there were definitely times where we'd be like, dad, like, stop telling me the answer. Like, stop telling me what to do. (laughs) Fire hose. Too many answers. Too many answers. Well, and I think if I had it to do over again, I would choose to check me on this approach. Uh, would be to ask questions, would be to do more of a, a motivational interview or a, well, what do you think about that? And, and golly, how'd, how'd that happen? And how do you find yourself in your situation? would be to respond more with questions and let you walk yourself through it yeah. with, with a minimum of guidance would be how I would do that now with someone. Yeah. Not a child, not my own child. Yeah. Well, in, long time um, ago. Hmm. And that's, especially if your kid comes to you, obviously depending on age, et cetera, comes to you and asks for your help. Mm-hmm. It is especially effective to ask questions to help guide them into problem solving it themselves. Mm-hmm. If a child comes to you with feelings, with struggle, with this thing is happening and and they're, you know, upset or sad or hurt or whatever it might be, then just focus on the feelings first. Mm-hmm. And because mm-hmm. then the kid is, once once you say, I, I hear that you're feeling really frustrated, I hear that you're feeling really hurt by what your friend said to you at school, mm-hmm. I, I mm-hmm. hear that, oh, that's so hard. I remember that happening to me when I was a kid and it felt like this and... Blah, blah, like just empathizing and normalizing and validating their feelings. That's hard. I'm mm-hmm. sorry. And then your mm-hmm. child will naturally lead you into, okay, now I want to problem solve this. What do I do? What do I do with this? Talk about reframing or, yeah. yeah. Um, hey, you're good at this. Thanks. <laughs> so so just to just to wrap up your childhood stuff and how that you carried that mm-hmm. into parent your parenting and with with the greatest of intentions right you there's no malicious intent um there's nothing but love and value that you wanted to add to our lives and all of that to say I really wanted you to tell that story because I just wanted to kind of paint the picture of how overcompensating for doing things differently. I'm can not going be, to do the things my parents did. Yeah. Or I'm going to do it this way. Overcompensating is, can be just as detrimental as yeah. undercompensating. Yeah. And, Being aware and, that you want something different, but still just making it up as you go. 
right, doesn't always run into the best results. You know, it's good to do a little learning. Here I am at 60-something, and it's like going, yeah, that, you know, that didn't, that wasn't the best. I could have done that a little better, and nobody died, but, you know, I would do that different now. That's, uh, it's good to have a conversation once in a while with somebody and figure that out sooner rather than later. Well, in the the example, it is better to figure that out sooner rather than later. But in the in the example that is wildly common and is also the authoritative authoritarian authoritarian parenting Mm. styles um, argument against the, this parenting revolution, right? The gentle parenting, conscious parenting, peaceful parenting, relational parenting um, revolution is that we're just going to coddle all of these children and they never do anything wrong and everything is always okay and your feelings yeah. are always the only thing that matter and mm-hmm. everything is rainbows and sunshine. And that mm-hmm. is also an overcompensation from... Yeah the authoritarian parenting that is, has been very common for anyone born in the the eighties and before. And the authoritarian thing too is also kind of, I don't know, not wanting to discuss feelings. Yeah. What you're saying there kind of reminds me of the, you have to deal with your own crap. And so one way to not deal with your own crap, if you're reluctant to deal with your own stuff is, is shut it down, you know? Yeah. Well, and yeah, and shut down any of the children's feelings and yeah, yeah. I can't, I haven't, if you can't deal with your own stuff, you're not going to be able to deal with this tiny human running around yeah. in front of you either. Cause they're going to have all their own stuff, but yeah. So the overcompensation from, from authoritarian parent is up here, child is down here parenting to to this where we're catering to the child constantly and whatever the child wants, the mm-hmm. child gets, and you never say no. And you validate all their feelings, no matter what's going on. Like, well, and that's, you know, that whole thing is I'm not, I'm not averse to being authoritarian sometime. I think it has to do with age. You know, it's like, put on your coat. We're going to the store. I'm in a hurry to a two-year-old is different than to a 22 year old. You know, um, well, an authoritative. So to, there's you have to th- adjust for the age. So yes, adjusting for the age too, and like, and being authoritative sometimes is necessary. You are the parent. This is not safe. It's over, or whatever you yeah. know, whatever it, whatever the situation the is. Yeah. Right. And there, there's a time and a place, and that's what I'm saying is going from authoritarian to passive parenting is also not the answer. And so with relational parenting and gentle parenting and peaceful parenting, we're trying to go from this, from this authoritative spectrum over here side of the spectrum and the passive, just do whatever the child wants. Child runs the household Uh, over here and and come in this middle area where we actually have we have connection and and healthy emotional responsiveness to our child and we are 
authoritative when we need to be and there are boundaries and there are there's structure and we teach and you know all all of those things come together to make a healthy whole person but if we go back to my pyramid that i described in the first episode and we go from meeting physical needs and we skip over emotional needs and go straight to rules and boundaries and cognitive learning and hug your grandpa and be a social person. If we skip these emotional and mental needs on this second layer of our pyramid, then our child will then either operate out of fear and be constantly in a state of fight or flight and high cortisol levels and all of that um, and excel anyway, but in an extremely unhealthy state in their nervous system and they will end up with anxiety and depression and all kinds of shit in their twenties or they won't be able to function in those situations and they'll be considered you know, they'll be called all kinds of things or diagnosed with all kinds of things, or they'll need special help with all kinds of things. And Mm -hmm. so we can't skip, we cannot skip this emotional, mental health needs. Um, And that's where relational parenting comes in. And we, we focus on that. We focus on meeting those needs and then establishing the structure and the boundaries and the, the, um, you know, the respect for, I don't want to say respect for authority. Um, well, respect for others, respect for yeah, other just respect people. respect for other human beings and you, how you, you are you affecting respect. the world. Yeah, that, you need to, you, if you want respect, you need to treat others with respect. You have no right to expect anything from other people that you're not willing to do yourself. You know, that's leadership. That's the basis of all kinds of stuff. Structure requires a why. You know, I don't, it's time for bed. Why? It's uh, don't run out in the street. Why? Um, You know, which is more rational. And you have to, if you end, if you end up with disconnect between the emotional and the structure side of things, then that's, that's where you get confusion. You end up with kids that Mm -hmm. have so much going on in their head, busy, you know, becomes depression, paralysis, can't make decisions, don't function as well. You know, if things are not sort of kind of resolved, you know, the, the, the degree to which the the internal machinery, mental machinery works smoothly kind of has a has a determining effect on how well you function in society and deal with resilience and then deal with uh, life, you know, because it's varied. Yeah, well, in, the, in that you mentioned that understanding So here's the boundary, and here's why. Here's why. Because if you just make a rule or you just set a boundary or you just whatever and tell your kid they can't do something or they have to do something or this, that, or the other, they're Mm -hmm. going, they are not going to care about what that rule is or why it's there. And they're not going to respect it at the level you want them to until you fully teach them why we do things. And in really young kids, you're going to have to teach them 600 times before it clicks. And in teenagers. For a little while, it's because I said so. 
<laughs> no. But that's a but that's a horrible reason. It's not. Yes. It's not because I said so. That, that's never a reason, no matter what age they are. Not even for one year olds, two year olds. I explain Time things. for bed. I explain yeah, things no, because, to a six-month-old. Because month you're going to be tired tomorrow if you don't, yeah. We oversimplify the way we explain things to kids, and we do not need to, and it actually inhibits their ability to understand. So when you don't say, dumb it down, huh? stop dumbing things down, even for a two-year-old, I'm telling you, they get it, and they learn language that you teach them. So if you teach them, you know, to say bum instead of butt or you teach them to call something whatever like I don't even know I don't even have an example right now but if you say to your two-year-old all right it's bedtime why I don't want to go to bed I'm not tired Uh, okay well let's either we could do an exercise with them where we feel into our bodies and see if we're actually tired or why when they say why do I have to go to bed you say well Everybody goes to bed. We all have to sleep as human beings. If you don't sleep, mm-hmm. you're not going to say this to your two-year-old. That's right. That's right. But if you don't sleep, you die. And so you're go- you're going to <laughs> That's explain that. That's a good one for that. a two-year-old. You're going to die if you don't They don't go know to what bed. dying is. You can't <laughs> explain it to them. They cannot conceptualize it, and so you'll just confuse them further. Please but, don't let your four-year-olds watch this. <laughs> but you... You explain that to them, not, well, if you don't sleep, you're going to be tired. Your kid cannot also yeah. conceptualize what being tired in the future is. Too far they in can't. the future, yeah. They don't get it. Yeah. Okay? So you can even ask questions. So I remember with one of my families, one of my nanny families, there was a child who didn't want to go to bed ever at bedtime. And sure. they would always say, why do I have to go to bed? I'm not tired. I'm not tired. Well... You know, what's really important is that we go to bed before we actually feel tired because what happens when you feel tired and they go, and if you've had this conversation before, they might be able to answer. If you have never had this conversation before, you still ask that question. And when they go, I don't know, I don't know, then you tell them what you witness when they get really tired. You say, well, I've, I've noticed when you get really tired. You start to rub your eyes a lot and you start to kind of throw your body around the room. Mm -hmm. And sometimes you get hurt when you do that. And if you don't do that, I've noticed that you cry a lot and you get really sad when you're tired. You get unhappy. Yep. And they go, oh, and whether they remember it or not, they're going to, they're going to like, kind of like take that in and think about it. And if this is like the 50th time you've had this conversation with them, then they're going to go, oh yeah, yeah, I better go to bed. Or they're going to argue with you a little bit more. Who knows? But the point is like, you can explain things to a toddler. You can explain things even to a six-month-old baby who doesn't want their diaper changed, I verbally explain to them what I'm doing and why I'm doing it and why it needs to happen. Like, I'm so sorry, babe. I know this is so hard. You don't like laying on your back or you don't feel good today. And getting your diaper changed is so hard. And I empathize with that child, even though they are not capable of verbalizing back to me, that Mm six-month-old 
can feel what I'm saying. Mm-hmm. And they are starting to understand. On some level, they understand it. Yeah. They do. They're starting to understand language. And they can hear my tone and they can feel the vibration of the words that I'm saying. And even if they don't stop crying or they continue to be upset and mad that you're changing their diaper, you're at least not causing emotional harm and disconnect to that baby. Yeah. You still have to do, you still have to change the poopy diaper because otherwise they could get an infection or whatever. Sorry. Yeah. It's going to happen. But you are, you are maintaining the relationship and the connection to them and their experience and their feelings so that they feel safe and heard and they can still be upset, but they feel safe. Yeah. So it can happen at six months old, at five years old, at 18 years old, but we need to be explaining the why and the real why. Not mixed signals, not, yeah, not, not dumb made up reasons or yeah, just laid out. Yeah. I like that. I like that as a teaching uh, thing back to teaching and, and and, uh, now I'm having trouble with words, authenticity and stuff, you know, getting, getting the real message across. Mm -hmm. Making, making rules and either not explaining them and just saying, because I said so, or that's the way it is. Mm-hmm. Your child is going to get a very skewed, inaccurate way of how the world works. Mm-hmm. And they're going to be very lost when they go out into that world. And there are no rules. And there's no, like, there or there are very few rules. And they are going to be lost without reasons and actual, like, meaningful structure um, that they can then go recreate in their own lives. And there are, there are, you're also giving them a skill. There are more and less useful approaches to dealing with other people as you get older and just going into a room full of people and saying, here's what we're going to do without, with making no pretense of, Hey, I'm the boss and this is just going to happen and get out of here is oftentimes less effective than, angling a little bit and explaining and, you know, letting people, when people feel bought in, I guess is the word that's popping into my head. If you can get a kid to buy into the idea of, it sounds kind of silly, uh, raising children as it comes out of my mouth, but Mm, getting a kid to buy into the decision to go to bed, Mm -hmm. wow, then, you know, check that problem off pretty much forever. And mm-hmm. move on, you know. That's uh, onto the onto the next real problem. Yeah, that would be great. That'd be a great skill to teach a kid, and then they see it, and then next thing you know, when they're fifty, they're using it themselves, you know, because it's part of their DNA practically. Well, and it's true. I remember I've worked at you know multiple companies, and the companies I stayed at were the ones that were transparent and honest and told us why things were happening the way they were or what, you know, new rules or whatever were being put into place. And the places who were just, who just treated us like foot soldiers and told us what to do. And if we didn't do it on command, then we were reprimanded. Like replaceable parts. It was like, all right, deuces, I'm out. Like you don't get to treat me like this or I'm not, this is miserable. I don't want to come to work. So 
there's a whole there's a whole other movement now in the Another workforce metaphor. in different companies of like treating people like people like these same yeah. concepts these same like being in relationship with your employees having so that a it's relationship yeah not just a transaction but like people spend more of their lives at work than they do in their own homes sometimes as a, as a rule yeah so you have to make it a place that people want to go like yeah. <laughs> it's simple well it's you get more you get more work you get more cooperation you know i hate to see yeah. people they come to a meeting they bring a laptop and they crack a laptop and they're not paying any attention to what's going on in the meeting they're not yeah. engaged you yeah. know and you get more in you know if people are engaged whether it's a two-year-old going to bed or a bunch of people at work, you know, it's more productive and more fun for everybody. Yeah. You know, less less friction, less excitement, less drama. Yeah. It's a good thing, usually. All right. I think, once again, we have veered off topic enough for one day. We, uh, we're going to circle back in and close this down to um, how to heal generational trauma. We cannot, we cannot just move forward and execute. We, there is, if there is generational trauma or generational cycles or pain and wounding from your own childhood that has not been addressed yet, the stepping forward into the kind of parent you want to be or the changes that you want to make is going to be so much more effective and so much easier if you do that healing inside of yourself. And you have to acknowledge that the hurt happened. You have to feel those terrible feelings and grieve what happened to you in childhood and then move into forgiveness, acceptance, or understanding. Um, and then, and then once you have done that, you become capable of taking radical accountability of your own choices and life and what you want to make of it and what kind of parent you want to be. And that gives you all of your power back and you get, you can, you can literally do anything you want with that power. So yeah. Making choices. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Yeah. Good deal. Thanks dad. Good stuff. You bet. Thank you, sweetie. I learned a thing or two tonight. Oh, good. (laughs) All right. Bye everybody. If someone came to mind while you were listening to this episode or you are wishing you had a friend to digest it with, I would be so honored if you shared this link from this episode with them. I myself have always benefited from community and sharing, and I truly believe that it takes a village to raise a child. Our society has become so independent from one another, and parenting these days is often a lonely journey. But it doesn't have to be that way. That's why I'm here. If you have been seeking a more intentional approach to parenting, but you aren't sure where to start, I would love to hear from you. You can find me and all of my offerings at www.jennyb.co. And come follow me on all major social media platforms. It fills my heart to hear your stories, 
where you come from, and your big goals for raising the next generation. And don't forget, comment your parenting question on our YouTube channel, The Relational Parenting Podcast, to get it answered on one of our future episodes. If you enjoyed this podcast, please hit the subscribe button so you never miss out. I am so grateful that you are here. And always remember, you are never alone. I'll see you next week. This show is intended for education and entertainment purposes only. We will discuss things like mental health, abuse, PTSD, and other potentially triggering subjects. Please listen at your own discretion, and this podcast is not intended for anyone under the age of 18.